Hi and welcome to KONST. KONST is a podcast by Scandinavian Mind about contemporary and future art. The interconnection with society, culture, technology, finance and lifestyle. The outlook is primarily at the art world from a Scandinavian perspective, although taking into account the global arena of artists, exhibitions, trade fairs and other current events. My name is Roland Philippe Kretschmar and I'm your host today, together with Michael Elmanbeck. He is the founder of Seafield Artspace and Bond Magazine, a renowned art advisor, collector, trend expert and a friend. Welcome, Ike. Hi, Roland. Good so how here. are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Uh, very excited to be part of this uh, first journey for art. Feels good. It's quite explorative, right? It's the first launch episode of Konst. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked to be part of new things. So uh, being able to support uh, the art scene in Scandinavia or from Scandinavia um, feels good. Hmm. And we're recording this from Stockholm. Um, what do you feel is the kind of the art temperature in Stockholm right now? I mean, it's freezing cold outside, but inside the white cube or in, in, in the art world, it's, it's really on fire at the moment. Like new galleries are opening, or maybe we should not say galleries, maybe we should say like uh, pop-ups or hybrid galleries because there are really like a new way of running things uh, going on here. Um, a lot of young uh, creative people are opening galleries um, and some of the old ones are closing down. But in general, I would say there's a big, big, big interest in, in art at the moment. So it's, it's super exciting to be here in Stockholm. Mm, I, I totally agree. And this is also why we wanted to basically launch Konst. I think there's a space for a podcast about art, uh, contemporary art from this Scandinavian perspective. Um, but actually today on this first uh, launch episode, we have uh, Destiny Ross Sutton joining us. So she will um, be a guest later in the, in the, in the show. Um, what's your take on Destiny? Well, she's uh, a super inspiring curator an art lover and someone I was admiring before I got to know her uh, and got to work with her. Uh, she was one of those few people who were really, really, you know, having a, a great eye that, that I was inspired by, you know, and I, I found her through Instagram, uh, the way you find a lot of, you know, young and exciting people today. Mm. So she was one of one of few that was really, you know, covering the, the black art scene like three, four years ago, um, like the really, really young uh, art scene. And um, so I reached out to her uh, after I was, you know, um, being nervous for a while <laughs> before doing it. And uh, yeah, we, we started talking and eventually we, 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 we did a show together at CFL. Uh, called Black Voices uh, that was curated by Destiny. And we included some of then uh, the most exciting young artists. And today, just like two and a half years later, uh, many of them have been established in a way, mm. you know, getting big galleries, museum shows, um, some of them even in auctions, uh, maybe too early, but, but still. And, and the whole art scene has obviously become very influential. Uh, but mostly I would say destiny is a force uh, of energy and, you know, um, yeah, she will, she will tell us who she is. Yeah. Super Sorry. excited to have her on the show later, but listen, uh, can I call you Mickey? It's a, it's an English uh, podcast, but Mickey is pretty good, right? I would say Michael. I would say Michael. Michael. <laughs> you yeah. always say Michael. Okay. <laughs> good. Yeah, 
No, but listen, Otherwise, I, it sounds like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, Michael. Listen, I, I'm curious what you think about this. But, um, you know, in the last couple of years, throughout, throughout the pandemic, um, a lot of the art fairs uh, and, and major galleries, especially the blue chip galleries, they have offered OVRs, so online viewing rooms. So basically exploring how we can use a virtual reality or augmented reality technology to open up access to galleries during the pandemic. So, you know, if, if you cannot travel, how can you then um, experience art, right? Uh, so we've seen that at Art Basel, all the major fairs. Now, what is interesting, I mean, it seems to me that we're moving out of the pandemic. Um, I've started to read now in major newspapers, in art blogs, I've listened to some podcasts. It seems to me that this kind of OVR trend is over that um, they will no longer offer this as, a, as an option, you know, that basically at Art Basel, there will no longer be any OVRs. What do you think about that? I think it's both good and, 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 and sad because what I really, really liked about it, uh, it, it became more democratic because in a way, um, more people got access to see the artwork. Um, uh, until the pandemic, most major galleries, they didn't want to send out the artworks they, they were presenting because it was all being done the way it has been done for so many years. You had to go to the physical fair and once you are there, you had to talk to them and they would show you the artworks, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and now everything was online and, and you could actually see the artworks you could also get access to, to how much the artworks were, like mm. prices. Mm. And usually they, they don't reveal that. So in a way, it was very rewarding for someone who likes to do research. Like, what artwork do you have? How much are they? How, how big is the size? What's the technique? Uh, but also, it's, it's very democratic in that way that they don't know um, who is the buyer. Obviously, they can, they can see the name, but... Sometimes, you know, being a VIP is a lot about, you know, being a face to them. Oh, here are you. Um, good, good to meet you again. Come and buy from me. But once you have the opportunity for everyone to, to be part of this, um, I kind of like that, you know, coming from a small, small city, small country like Sweden, I always feel that, oh, if you're not from, you know, one of the big cities, mm. people don't really you know, take you seriously. So, so no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's sad. I think a combination would be, you know, perfect. Um, because I also like the idea of us having art fairs to go to, uh, mm -hmm. to be able to browse through the best galleries in the world and see what they are bringing. But I also like the idea of not having to go to 25 art fairs a year and yeah. still be able to buy and see what's going on. So, mm -hmm. so hopefully it will be a shift, maybe not now, but in two years when they understand that both could be actually a good way. Yeah, and I'm pretty surprised, to be honest, uh, that they are um, pivoting I mean, so dramatically. I mean, I think a hybrid setup would be the most logical next step, right? But kind of totally take it out as an option for, for visitors. I'm pretty surprised. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, obviously, the big organizers behind the art fairs when when they feel that everyone can sell equally good 
uh, and attract even more visitors online and don't have to pay amounts of money to go there uh, and don't have to spend, you know, equally big amounts in shipping and insurances. Um, maybe their existence uh, is hard to, you know, uh, explain why, why should we go there? Um, so as, as an art lover, um, yeah, like I said, um, I think it was good to be able to stay home and be able to see, see, see great art. But I also liked the, the progress in, in, you know, developing uh, digital platforms that are equally good uh, or even better um, to the physical fair and not just the art fairs. It could be museums or galleries. Mm -hmm. Everyone had to adapt to, you know, to become digital. Um, so so I'm, I'm actually more interested in seeing how will the galleries do, how will the museums do? Will everyone try to go back three years in time now? Or will everyone try to, you know, continue to be progressive, to, mm. to be more inviting? Yeah, and that's exactly the kind of topics we're going to explore in Konst. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, the future of art, the future of the art scene is definitely worth uh, talking more about. Um, but uh, Michael, um, what have you observed in the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks? <clears throat> well, it's, it's, it's a lot of things, but one of the things I've been a bit excited about is that I saw a video a few days ago with Marina Picasso, uh, you know, Pablo Picasso's granddaughter, and where she said that um, the family will continue to produce Pablo Picasso's NFTs. Mm. Uh, and, and, and she talked a lot about the, te the technology uh, the aspect, that it's a good way to use modern technology uh, to connect with art lovers and collectors. And, and, and like you said, I've, I've been reading so many articles about this, everything from big museums in, in Italy, like the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. Um, so four of the biggest galleries and museums uh, in Italy, they have decided to produce and sell NFTs of their mm. most priceless masterpieces. Uh, and obviously some of the reasons are they need the funds to be able mm -hmm. to restore the artworks. But one of the reasons is, is also because during the pandemic, it, it became so obvious that 90% of, of the normal visitors, they were gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so, so by doing NFTs, they think, yeah, we can, we can reach a new audience, uh, especially the young ones who maybe will not have the time or interest in going to, to Italy or, or the museum. Uh, so, so that's one of the reasons why they want to do this, uh, which is interesting. And, and also I read that the British Museum, they announced they're going to put 20 paintings by Turner uh, on sale um, as NFTs as well. Mm -hmm. And some of them are going to be very rare in limited editions and some going to be in a bigger edition. So more people can buy them. And, and they also have the same reason. Um, we have them, we can hardly show them, uh, and we want to share them with more people. And obviously we also want to be able to make some money of it. Uh, mm. so, so we can, you know, make the museum even more, um, you know, interesting to, to up, upgrade uh, the physical and the digital aspect of it. But Michael, and, I'm uh, curious, 
because yeah. the examples you're, you're you're talking about now are museums or fund uh, trust kind of um, art funds um, that would maybe not have any commercial expectations on these projects, right? But uh, I mean, cynically, um, the Picasso uh, family. I mean, they obviously want to earn money on this, right? Um, do you see that? Uh, I mean, do you see a conflict in that, or just curious about your thoughts? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, I guess if you are a musician, you want your music to be on Spotify and not just on vinyl. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe one part is because you want to make money. But I also think that if you have a legacy of something that you really, really think is great, you you want more people to be able to 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 take part of it. Uh, and, and the thing was with the Picasso NFTs, they didn't really sell that well uh, initially. And, and I don't think it's, it's even sold out yet. So, so I still think- <laughs> They don't understand are... the mechanisms of marketing, to be honest. I mean, how you actually market NFTs is totally different from how you market art. Yeah. And also it's, it's different collectors who, who, who wants mm -hmm. to buy or has, has been buying Picassos for, for many years. So, but I, I always like what's going on into the future rather than what's happening in the past. So I think it's super good uh, that they want to adapt. And, and if they want to make money, I have no problems with that. Why not? Uh, but if they want to, you know, make their art more accessible, I think it's, I think it's great. This is the same way I think it's great that Uniqlo collaborates with MoMA so kids mm. can buy a t-shirt with, with great art uh, and hopefully they start to love art and go to museums. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. Can I ask I, you? This, um, this is something I've been, I've been obviously thinking a lot about and, and obviously how will this end? Um, because um, I, read, I read an article where someone said, what if the digital version, like the NFT, what if that one will eventually become the original? Because mm -hmm. for a young generation who might not be able to go to a museum and might not be able to see the physical one hanging on a wall, for them, maybe the digital version of a painting hanging in Florence will eventually become the world's most known version of it. Uh, yeah. Which one is then the original and who's not? Um, that, that's very interesting perspective. So, I mean, yeah, basically you could say, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm pushing this a bit, but you could say that it's the printed version of the of digital original, right? That is hanging in the museum. Yeah. And mm. also, obviously, the, the aspect of thieves, because this morning I read again, Someone has been stealing CryptoPunks for mm. like three or four million uh, dollars, and and no one really knows uh, how it happened. And and uh, so this is obviously something that that everyone who owns a Picasso or a CryptoPunk, whatever, uh, will have to take in, into consideration. Like, is sure. it still safe um, to to produce? Uh, NFTs of these masterpieces because if you're a museum obviously you know your way to protect them but once you launch them and make them accessible uh, you still don't want your uh, Raphael uh, to be to be missing uh, or or how 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 will you deal with that and so that's something that will be really really interesting to to see how how we will deal with in the future hmm. before we move on in in the show I'm just curious um what would you 
guess is the next big NFT project in the Scandinavian market space then? I mean, I really have no idea. I know a lot of a lot of companies are talking about NFTs and not just art, but obviously I, I hope that the big museums uh, will, will make their art collections more accessible. Like 99% of all the art in the modern museum here in Stockholm uh, is in storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, and, and, if, and if those artworks can be accessible, I would be super happy. And, and, and I think all the artists will be as well. Uh, and not just see their artworks maybe once or twice in a lifetime uh, on the walls of a museum. So um, hopefully that is one trend, make more art available to look at, to admire, to love. Good observation. So um, let's um, try to get uh, Moderna Museet uh, on Cons podcast in the near future to discuss the future of art. So, as our first guest on Konst, we have Destiny Ross Sutton, who is an international curator, artist, advocate, art advisor, and gallerist. Very welcome, Destiny. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, you are um, advising private institutions, international collectors. You are focusing primarily on African and African-American art. Um, you... You know, you're starting galleries, you're managing artists, you, you have such a wide um, range of activities in the art space. But for our listeners that might not know you yet, uh, could you expand a little bit on your background and kind of, yeah, who you are? Of course. Um, I mean, it goes back pretty far. Art has been a part of my life Um for as long as I can remember. I grew up surrounded by art and culture, um, which unfortunately wasn't something that was so common where I grew up. I was born and raised in Harlem in New York. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of uh, Montessori schools and Waldorf schools that are very, um, you know, involved in the child's development. And so we would be surrounded by culture. We would, you know, meet the families of artists or we would mimic the art itself and uh it's been there my whole life really and so I kind of ventured away for a bit I went to college here in New York uh for journalism uh unfortunately this was around 2016 where politics Mm -hmm. was the number one topic in the world and Mm -hmm. things were going haywire and uh I felt that it wasn't the right place for me to uh, try and get people to think outside of their usual bubble. And so I turned back to art so that I could get people to think and get people to see other people's perspectives, but from a point of beauty. So uh, I jumped right back into it and I was able to meet so many beautiful artists and so many interesting people and really this this whole process up to how I got here has been so organic to me where it, it really happened naturally. And now that I look back, I feel like everything that happened was very intentional, mm-hmm. whether I was aware of it or not. Can I ask you before I let uh, Michael into the conversation, I'm just curious, could you expand a little bit on 
the difference between journalism and art in kind of expressing uh, or or reflecting the world around you? I mean, that's quite interesting <coughs> that you, you found kind of more uh, freedom or safety in art than in journalism. I would say I still definitely have a love for journalism. Um, I think that journalists today who see the challenging political and social landscape and decide to persevere are incredibly strong. They are brave and, and if not, you know, a little bit uh, crazy, I would say. <laughs> um, mm. I think that it is very challenging to be a journalist right now where the truth seems subjective to way too many people because especially in the States, we kind of have this questioning of some of the most fundamental facts where we see that science that has been studied for decades is now being challenged or, you know, the perspective of, of an event that happened is being altered. And it's, to me, it's, it's very frustrating. And when I was looking at it from a journalistic experience, uh, it very quickly took a dark turn where I was shocked and a little bit depressed at how dark the world turned so quickly, how people became so angry and afraid and in and, and times violent. And so I turned to art to remind myself and also help others to see that there is still beauty worth fighting for in this world, that these expressions of our humanity are what makes us human and that mm. we need to see this as much as we can so that we don't forget that we aren't the only people with opinions. We aren't the only people with, you know, family members that we love and, and this kind of separation and, and detachment that we almost have with other people, uh, you know, me working in art and, and, kind of promoting the artists that I do and working with whoever I can is an effort to remind us that we're all creating art in our own way to, you know, express our humanity and we need to respect that. Yeah, and <clears throat> knowing Destiny and knowing her background, I think the way Destiny discovers art and curates art and communicates art, to me, she is... A modern journalist, uh, maybe not working with a pen and a, in a paper, but working with installations or exhibitions or using her talent um, and using media as a platform to to communicate um, ideas and, and important mm -hmm. topics. So I think that's that's something that you have really, really added um, to, to your template of, of, of things. And, and I think that's also one of the reasons why so many artists um, admire uh, the work you do uh, with them and, and for them and for the whole scene. So, so to me, you are still uh, a journalist or having, mm -hmm. having a good mm -hmm. use for what you learned, um, how, how to communicate. Um, so is, is this something you, you, you think of when you do something like, how can I, how can I reach out with, with a message? Um, Absolutely. Yes. I mean, 
I, I say that in whatever I do, my purpose is to give a chance for people to see a world or an experience outside of what we see every day. Um, it is so easy to kind of get lost in a sort of bubble where we feel like our experience is almost the only experience. And, and you know, when I first started in journalism, I was inspired by seeing these political events that if it weren't for the immense courage and frankly for, for journalists risking their lives, we wouldn't see these things. You know, the, the footage of the man in China standing in front of the tank, the story mm. behind that, you know, the, the person who took the video and took the photos had to hide the film, you know, inside of a toilet. Uh, we don't know what happened to that man. And had they found that film, the person who took the film would have been dead as well. And that story would have been hidden. And so to take that risk in order to inform the world about what's happening, about this fight for, for freedom and this fight for humanity, uh, that was what really inspired me seeing, you know, the protests that were happening around you know, Tamir Rice, Mike Brown, Breonna Taylor, anyone. Uh, unfortunately, it seemed like it was easy for people to ignore. And I wanted to show people that this is what is happening right now. There's always a fight and we need to be aware of this. And uh, whether I am writing an article or whether I am finding artists who not only talk about the facts that happened, but how we feel and how they felt at the time uh, to show the world that to me is immensely important. Before we, we kind of deep dive a bit more into this, I'm just curious. I mean, um, it is uh, a Scandinavian based art podcast. Uh, how did you both meet? Uh, you, you, you have worked together, right? And you, you did a show um, uh, in Stockholm, Sweden. Could you expand a little bit on how you met and how, how your working relationship formed? Well, I, I, like, like I said in the short intro, I mean, I'm addicted to discovering great talent and, and often I find them through Instagram or art exhibitions or, or, or art fairs. And one name that was constantly coming up um, in comments or thank you, thank you, thank you, this destiny person from artists that I admire. So obviously I started to look at her and I, I realized that this person has an amazing talent and she seems to know everyone and she seems to be like a great promoter for art. Uh, so I just reached out to her uh, through Instagram and um, this was like um, two and a half, uh, three years ago. And, um, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I, I, I mentioned what we're doing at CF Hill and, and Stockholm as a, as a country where we really, really need some of Destiny's uh, energy and her knowledge. So <clears throat> I asked her pretty much, um, let's do something together. And um, she was super fast to, to respond. Um, mm. And yeah, after that, we, we started to talk more. What caught your interest, Destiny? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, 
believe it was, yeah, 2019. And at that time, um, I really just decided to jump right into it. I was traveling a lot, um, which is very interesting and quite challenging sometimes, you know, uh, finally, I guess, traveling alone and going to all of these places that I had only read about in books or seen on a screen. And it was really just me learning and observing and absorbing as well, just as much art and culture and beauty as I could. And, you know, connecting with the artists that I already knew and meeting new artists along the way. And it was, it was a very important year to me. And um, yeah, I mean, having Michael reach out was, was definitely a highlight of that as well. And uh, I think it started off an amazing partnership and it's been great ever since. Hmm. What do you know about Scandinavian art? For what I have seen, I love that much like the Scandinavian mentality from my eyes, it's always very forward thinking. And for some reason, the, the thing that kind of comes to my mind is, is weird. And as someone <laughs> who labels herself as weird, who kind of grew up sometimes as that kid, I see it as a badge of honor that what people see as weird a few years down, oftentimes is seen as genius. We can't believe they were thinking so, so, you know, so intensely at the time where, where everyone looked at it and judged it. Now we look back and say, wow, they were so ahead of us. And I feel like in general, that's kind of how Scandinavia is. Hmm. Do you agree with that, Michael? Are we weird? Yes, in a way. Uh, <laughs> no, I, th I think I think we are. Uh, I th I think I know what destiny means. Uh, weird in a good way. Um, so um, yeah, so so um, we we started talking, and then um, we did a, a show together. And and during this time, uh, we were we were looking at so many artists, and destiny was was talking to so many you know artists all around the world, and. And, and after half a year, uh, we were planning to have a show and, and all of a sudden people started talking about, you know, COVID and, and, and the pandemic. And, and uh, yeah, so, so the, the next two, year, two years um, has been like really complicated to continue to, to do things, but we managed mm -hmm. to have an amazing show. And instead of having 500 people queuing up outside, we ended up having a live Instagram opening with artists, you know, in their studios and Destiny interviewing them mm. from her apartment in New York and yes, we had artists yes. from all around the world. So, so everything, nothing really, nothing really turned out uh, the way we planned, but in a way, everything got better, um, I would say, because, because everyone felt very intimate and, you know, connected by this. Um, so it, it, it really turned out to be this megaphone that, that we were hoping that Destiny and us kind of brought things to Stockholm, but we also brought it back to, to, to people all around the world. And 
And by then, everyone was pretty much sitting inside. So it, it was a very good opportunity to, to reach out and, you know, educate people and in, inspire people. Um, yeah. So, you know, we um, touched on uh, OVRs before, <clears throat> kind of these online viewing rooms and, you know, what you're describing here, Michael, is, is, is part of that uh, kind of story, you know, how, how you experience art uh, by, by distance, right? Uh, but Destiny, do you think that the art world has suffered or benefited from the pandemic? I mean, probably both, right? But do, do you see opportunities coming out of the pandemic? Absolutely. Um... You know, I, I read a quote from someone who basically said that, you know, when the world shut down and where everything seemed so bleak and we started reading books and we started watching TV, we, we turned to art. That was what we turned to to remind us what we were living for. We kind of get lost in the day to day. We don't think of these things. And, you know, some things they are about survival making your life comfortable but when it comes to art you get reminded of why life is worth living you mm. get reminded that we are human and we have so many different experiences but at the core you know it's it's you know a search for love acceptance a search for understanding connection um that really pulls us together and that was what was happening at the time um, you know, basically being one of the only shows that was open at such a scary time. I mean, I, for myself, I was able to get lost in connecting with the artists and looking at the works because just outside my doors, New York City was completely silent. It was mm. empty. <laughs> there were no one was outside and all you could hear was maybe the occasional city bus, but you would hear an ambulance go by and you would know that person might not make it. And so to kind of feel that darkness and that fear and that uncertainty, but then be able to turn back and say, you know what, I'm going to find my comfort in what we're doing here and to be able to connect the artists and kind of reach out and do the same with others, but also give people the chance to see the works and to hear what the artists have to say from all over the world, knowing that you don't have to physically be there. You can just, you know, you just had to have access to a phone and, you know, internet. To me, that was beautiful as well um, because it was something that, we all went through collectively where everything just froze mm. and it seemed like everything froze except for, for us for a bit. <laughs> and it was a very interesting position to be in. I, I totally agree. And um, <clears throat> since then um, it seems like despite the pandemics and people can't fly or, go anywhere it it feels like you destiny have been all around the world uh, maybe not physically but you have done so many things you have been in so many so many medias talking about art uh, producing amazing things and um, was this something that you felt was was 
going to happen during these years? Or was this maybe a 10-year plan that happened in two years? Um, how, how do you feel when you sum up the last two years and everything you have done and achieved? I mean, it was definitely not in my plan to basically have interviews or conversations with people from all over the world, uh, feeling like I've been able to travel everywhere, but I'm still, you know, sitting in my office at home. Um, I think that because of how I grew up, um, my family did not have a lot of money by any means. I'm the seventh of eight children. And the way I would escape and the way I would travel was through reading. Um, I read all the time, whatever I could get my hands on. I've been reading since I was two years old when my sister taught me words by writing on a chalkboard. And that was my way of, of traveling. You know, I hadn't been on an airplane until I was, I think, 23, I believe. Mm. But it still felt like I was able to travel through authors of books or even watching a show. And so I knew what it felt like to be in one place, but connect with others from vastly different experiences from any time period as well. So to me, it felt natural um, kind of building this connection with others where people were almost, I guess, confused as to how do I connect with this person when they're, you know, thousands of miles away. And it's like, well, you know, of course, because of technology, just do your best to connect with people. Really, that is what, you know, social media, anything in general is to connect with others because as humans, that's what we need to survive. And when I was, you know, 10, 11, and my family didn't even have a car to, to drive someplace, I would turn to books and that was how I would travel. And so this felt very similar to that. So this weekend you actually did travel and uh, you went to, to the art fair in LA, right? Yes. And we even saw you on the cover of a magazine. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just curious, how, how has that affected you? Like being young and maybe more anonymous, and then all of a sudden you become a well-known name and a spokesperson. How, how do you feel you can take advantage of this? Uh, and not in a bad way. I mean, do you feel a responsibility now when you have a platform and people listen to mm -hmm. you? Or in what way has, has this made a shift for you? When you enter an art fair now, people might know who you are. Uh, are artists uh, coming to you or, or galleries or curators? Or like, what, what's the most fun or great about this um, new journey that you are doing now? Yeah, yeah, I mean... There definitely has been a shift and it has been, and I feel like it'll always be very surreal um, where it feels like things that I only imagined are actually happening. Um, it feels amazing to be able to connect with people that I, you know, spend so much time looking up to um, that might 
only be, you know, a face from across the crowd that I wish I had the courage to meet. And, and now they're, you know, approaching me. And, and I mean, it feels very validating, I would say. Um, and realizing that I do have this platform is very important as well. And, you know, I, I now I'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that I have this platform and I'm realizing, yeah, I, I have this platform and, and, and people are listening and I kind of feel the need to talk about certain things, you know, especially these past couple of years. Um, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out the best way for me to uh, get address um, our mental health and how the past couple of years have affected us and really how to be more open with, with how we've taken things mentally because it feels like we really haven't had time to process. Um, people have lost family members uh, and it didn't matter what age they were. And the uncertainty of not knowing what the future will hold um, has taken a toll on us and we aren't able to address that because I guess the world is just so keen to move on. Um, and that kind of leaves this, this level of, of confusion and sometimes trauma that we need to talk about. And, and hopefully soon I'll be able to address that, I guess, once I have a few more conversations with my therapist. But, <laughs> um, you know, I want things like that, even talking about having, you know, speaking with my therapist, talking about, uh, you know, the things that I've gone through growing up. I want that to be normal. I want there to be no shame behind that because when we're open and when we're vulnerable, we welcome in people who have had the same experiences and we welcome in the opportunity to connect with amazing people and to feel like we're not alone. Um, you know, like I say, you know, humans are very social species. We survive by knowing that we're not alone. And I know, especially since the pandemic, there have been times for so many people, you know, I know friends who live alone and they, you know, went to very dark places because they just didn't have anyone to speak to, anyone to talk to. And, um, you know, I'd realize, oh yeah, she doesn't have a roommate. I should send her a text or we should mm -hmm. FaceTime or, you know, somehow, somehow I'll, I'll, you know, bake something and get it to her. Anything to say, like somebody is thinking about you and someone cares because there were points where I felt like I needed that. Um, and there were people who reached out and did that for me. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at, where it comes to using my platform and realizing that I have one. Um, and even now I still kind of like pinch myself and realize like, wow, this amazing person knows who I am now. And mm -hmm. I don't really let it get to my head. Uh, when I feel like I need a little grounding, I just go to my family. I go to my sister's children and they don't, they don't care uh, what platform I have as long as I'm, having fun with them or buying them food or whatever the case may be. And so when I need a little kind of bringing back, bringing 
down back to earth uh, I look to my family which is incredibly important thank you destiny for sharing this it's it's uh, beautiful reflections uh, maybe kind of summarizing the last couple of years and you know we're moving out of the pandemic uh, and, and unfortunately we have actually to move on also in the show uh, so maybe as a kind of a last question um, what will you do in the next, let's say, a couple of months within the next year? What is planned? Where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm going to be jumping around quite a bit, especially in the next couple of months. Um, I have a project that I'm working on with the museum coming up very soon uh, in St. Bart's. I will be working on a show with uh, an artist, Kahari Turner in Venice. And then also... We will be, Kahari and I will be uh, traveling up to Stockholm to uh, join up with CF Hill in June. Wow, fantastic. So something to look forward to then. So for all our listeners that are based in in the Scandinavian region, you can uh, meet up with Destiny and experience her view on art uh, in June, right? So uh, as maybe... um, the bridge over to next episode, Destiny, uh, I asked you before the show, if you could think about a question that you want to ask the ne- next guest, what would you like to ask? You don't even know the guest, you know, that's just going to be the fun part here. But is there a question you would like to ask? And I will bring that mm-hmm. question forward. I feel like I've gotten this question quite a bit where people kind of ask, what is your favorite art piece? And that is an incredibly difficult question. Um, so I will change it a bit and say, um, what is that one art piece that kind of, I guess, changed you that when you need a reminder of why you love art, you think back to that piece. So what is that piece for you? Fantastic. So Destiny, can I ask you, what artwork do you have in mind when you, that kind of blew your mind or changed the way of you looking at art did i mean the question you passed on to the next episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you have do I, you have one one in mind i mean it's not just one there's so many that i feel like have important mm. uh moments in my life but um one that always sticks out um is i i mean it's a french word and i'm not very good at french but um, I believe it's Snow at Argentile by Monet. And it was when he spent this time in, you know, this town in France. And it was in 1875, I believe. And it's basically a, a portrayal of the town just completely blanketed in snow. And it is muted it is quiet the colors aren't too vivid but you still kind of have that hope for spring coming around and I love how quiet it is I love how reflective it is I love how you almost feel like you have to bow your head and trudge through the snow with the subjects and um, it also reminds me of um, the sculptures in Central Park uh, the gates which I was lucky enough to be part of, or I was lucky enough to witness when I was just nine years old and seeing these massive bright orange gates pop up, you know, all over Central Park and, and, 
you know, contrasting between the snow and everything. Um, so those two are somehow connected to me because of the scene, uh, the season. And yeah, they just remind me of a time where I felt like the world is, is so beautiful and so full of hope and so full of humans reaching out to each other. And those are, yeah, some points where I felt like there was good worth embracing. Wow. Thank you, Destiny Ross Sutton, for joining us on Konst. And um, thank you also, Michael, for joining me in this discussion. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Wow. That was uh, quite a conversation. Uh, I think I could have uh, continued that for hours and hours. Maybe we should rethink the Konst podcast as a long format podcast. Uh, what do you think, Michael? Yes, for sure. I mean... Uh, it felt like we had one minute with Destiny, but um, hopefully we can have her maybe in the show in the future and, and know more about her uh, and her extreme passion for art. Yeah, no, oh, fantastic. So um, what are you looking forward to in the next couple of weeks? So um, I'm going to Miami really soon. And Miami is really a place where you have really, really good museums. So I look forward to going to Rubel, to Perez, uh, and, and see some amazing contemporary art. And then obviously I look, I look forward to the Venice Biennale, mm. opening just in a couple of months, uh, where Destiny will have uh, some artists uh, being represented. Um, and pretty much see the best art in the world. Uh, and also <laughs> living in a cold country, it's nice to go there in, in the spring and meet all the art world, uh, especially after it's been closed for two years. Um, so that's what I really, really look forward to right now. Wow, that sounds amazing. I look forward to follow you on Instagram. <laughs> I will stay in Stockholm. Uh, I, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'm looking forward to um, go to Anna Buma Gallery and experience Bjorn Melgord, his latest exhibition. Uh, I have not seen it uh, in person yet. Uh, I'm a big fan of Bjarne. He also had this um, amazing NFT project, the light bulb man, uh, earlier this winter. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to in, in the next maybe two weeks, let's say. So, uh, with that said, Michael, thank you again for joining Konst. Hope to have you back on the show in the future. And, uh, yeah, this was Konst, uh, a podcast by Scandinavian Mind about contemporary future art and its interconnection with society, culture, technology, finance, and lifestyle. You can find show notes and also um, imagery and complementary links uh, online and on all the podcast platforms of your choice. Thank you. Bye.